1: Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Steve Grosso, Mark Tepper, Dan Nathan, and Guy Dami. Tonight on Fast. The man who moves markets is here. JP Morgan's Marco Kalanovic says the market lows are in and you will not believe how high he thinks the stocks can go this year. Plus, the IPO freeze as Uber, Lyft, Pinterest, and Airbnb get ready to make their debut. Will the government shutdown derail this highly anticipated IPO stream? We will explain. We start off with the bank bonanza. Goldman Sachs surging 10%, Bank of America surging 8%, taking the whole sector higher after better than expected earnings. The KBW banking index is now up. A whopping 11% so far this year. So, after being one of the worst-performing sectors last year, is 2019 turning out to be the year of the banks, Guy?
2: I thought they—they said my year. They were going to play the Al Stewart song "Year of the Cat," and then they didn't play it. Makes me look. I was so excited. No is the answer to your question, no, though, Melissa Lee. And we have, to welcome, we have to welcome our guest. Welcome, Mark well, she pepper. did on I mean, the opening. No, but this is a formal now. Oh. Well. A
1: formal one. Well, thank you. You thank know, you.
2: kudos to Dan Nathan, by the way, who a couple weeks ago said, really? you know, the setup for a lot of these banks was probably positive. A lot of them troughed. Earnings weren't going to be great. Maybe good enough, and maybe we'll see a rally. That's what we've seen. In terms of Goldman Sachs, to me, it was only one number that made a difference in Goldman, and that was tangible book went from 186 to 186 to about 197. And the move higher today is just the market recalibrating where that move was and where the stock is now. So can they continue to rally? Yes. But most of these banks, XLF, Goldman Sachs, are still in a pretty steep downtrend from the beginning of last year.
3: Yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, just to be clear, my view, that was January 2nd, January 3rd, before <laughs> the banks really started to get going. So as we got a week into the year, I did not like the strength heading into the earnings. I thought the setup wasn't great from a sentiment standpoint, even though they had literally gone down in a straight line 20 25% across the board. I think what's really important to remember here is that this is a reflex move. If you look at all the charts, just draw a line, take a ruler, they're still in pretty significant downtrends at Also highlight the KRE. This is the regional banking index. Also was down sharp, more sharply than the than the larger uh, banks, and it's still in a big, big downtrend. It reeks. reeks, I think if you're buying here, you're doing it wrong. You know what I mean?
0: You had to buy them when it looked really ugly. Goldman Sachs up 10%, 9% reeks of positioning to me. The XLE. You just talked about the banking index. XLE is up 8% year to date. This is all positioning. Sell the banks. These are low quality beats. There's nothing to be excited about.
1: Can I though hold on that in on that point because I'm going to bring up some uh, a phrase that we always always refer like to phrases. on the desk. Um, bad news, good price action. Mm. Isn't that what we saw during bank earnings season so far? I mean, we no. thought, as you mentioned, low quality beats. They're misses. Yeah, but I think these are there. these
0: are truly positioning issues because they were so beaten up. The market was so beaten up going into December or going into the new year, that it's just a reflex trade.
1: Hold on guys, uh, we understand the British Prime Minister Theresa May
4: well, is the, the making British a statement, let's listen in. The British want news. us to get on with delivering Brexit and also address the other important issues they care about. But the deal which I have worked to agree with the European Union was rejected by MPs and by a large margin. I believe it is my duty to deliver on the British people's instruction to leave the European Union, and I intend to do so. So now MPs have made clear what they don't want. We must all work constructively together to set out what Parliament does want. That's why I'm inviting MPs from all parties to come together to find a way forward. One that both delivers on the referendum and can command the support of Parliament. This is now the time to put self-interest aside. I have just held constructive meetings with the leader of the Liberal Democrats and the Westminster leaders of the SNP and Plaid Cymru. From tomorrow, meetings will be taking place between senior government representatives, including myself, and groups of MPs who represent the widest possible range of views from across parliament, including our confidence and supply partners the Democratic Unionist Party. I am disappointed that the leader of the Labour Party has not so far chosen to take part, but our door remains open. It will not be an easy task, but MPs know they have a duty to act in the national interest, reach a consensus and get this done. In a historic vote in 2016, the country decided to leave the EU. In 2017, 80% of people voted for parties that stood on manifestos promising to respect that result. Now, over two and a half years later, it's time for us to come together, put the national interest first and deliver on the referendum.
1: We've been listening to we've been listening to Prime Minister Theresa May making a statement in front of 10 Downing. This after winning a no confidence vote earlier in the day by a very very narrow margin, 325 to 302, uh, indicating here that she will work with all parties here to come up with a plan to move forward on what the country decided two years ago, which was to leave the European Union. The longer this drags out, what does this mean for the markets? There are a lot more unknowns. This is a continued drag on not just the UK, but also on EU growth. And what does this do to central banks around the world?
0: So, so here's the problem. And yesterday we got a glimpse of it. When you start to hear about Draghi uh, softening and turning more dovish immediately, we've heard our, our central bank, Powell, getting a little more dovish. So if that's the case, if there's going to be this global, synchronized dovish feel, you would think the markets move higher. But I'm worried that it's going to be the opposite this time. The market's going to be skittish, worried about why everyone is so afraid.
5: It seems like both sides are kind of digging their heels in right now. I mean, the EU has to be strict about this. If they're not strict about it, then all the other countries are going to start walking all over them. So um, I think you're just going to see more volatility until there finally is a deal. um, And and we'll see what happens.
1: In terms of central banks, though, could this put the the Fed more definitively on the sidelines for 2019.
2: I hope not, but probably will. I mean, I I happen to think that Mr. pal saying with the he I think To your point, he read from basically a script a couple weeks ago. He said what the market wanted to hear. But I still think in the back of his head he's going to do what he thinks is right. Now, that might be bad for markets. I think it's good for the long run. So I don't necessarily think it's going to make central banks more dovish. uh, But, you know, that's probably more my hope than my feel.
1: All right. Our next guest says the market lows are in. Let's bring in the man who moves the markets, J.P. Morgan's global head of derivatives and quantitative strategy, Marco Kolonovic. Marco, great to have you back. Good to see you. Happy New Year. Um, So the firm's stand is 3,100 by year-end. It's actually 3,000. 3,000, excuse me, 3,000 by year-end. So So so, what what brings us there um, and what do you think has changed? Because towards the end of last year in the fall, you were actually bullish going into year-end and and it didn't pan out.
6: It did not work out, you know. So sort of what happened in the the Q4 uh, was a sort of a series of shocks that were delivered to market first in October. We had the de-risking of systematic investor. Then a hedge fund, you know, equity longshore hedge fund degrossed then and, and, and reduced end of October. And the uh, things stabilized a little bit in November, and we had the G20 progress on G20 and some progress also with with the Fed. Uh, which we thought should be enough, actually, to, to 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 push the market higher. What did happen in in, in December was really a, a retail mutual fund liquidation, uh, unprecedented since 2008. You know, like so, retail kind of pulled the plug in an environment where there was no liquidity. You know, so so very scary, very ugly, uh, ugly price action uh, um, in the in the sort of first three week of December. Really, what saved the situation in December were pension funds buying in the last week. You know, so if you look at December on its own, it was largely driven by the flows. You know, it was a, a retail investor first yanking money out of the market and then pension funds plowing in, which basically pushed us up very quickly, you know, back uh, seven, eight percent, you know. So so the sample was really about the flows, you know, and, and flows and positioning and complete collapse in liquidity and liquidity is still still very thin, you know. So so we did bounce back uh, and uh, now a little bit, but we do uh, point that positioning is still very, very low, you know. So if you look at the equity uh, hedge funds, their beta is, you know, less than 10 percentile historically if we will look at some of these volatility sensitive investors like Vol targeters you know they're actually at the absolute low you know so, so positioning is very low you did have as I mentioned some of the pension fund bid you had some short covering now and and even a little bit of a short covering from some of these trend trend investors which kind of push us up on on, on a very low volume where we are now called 2600 something. Which is a level end of October level and kind of early early December level. So, so the way we look at this December was was a really as as a liquidity disruption as a market driven by flow. You know, we we do acknowledge weakening in some fundamental data and uh, derating of earnings, uh, but we also do think that uh, price is incorporating that largely at this point. You know, so so you could have actually data that is maybe not stellar but stocks that are actually drifting higher on account of some relevering and maybe some opportunistic buying. So,
3: so, Marco, let's just take it back one year mm-hmm. at this time. Yep. You know, the consensus was that we were going to have really good growth, synchronized global mm-hmm. growth in 2018. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing that was going to get every strategist, uh, you know, move back up to their 3,200 or whatever the yeah. average was a mm-hmm. year ago. So now we've had this reset. And I say to myself, OK, mm-hmm. so now the consensus is global, global, synchronized, slowing. And I just mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hard pressed to think, what are the catalysts that get us back to the prior high? Yeah. And above that,
6: yeah, so, so you know, so our base case is there is no recession. You know that we did have a slowdown, that we had a drastic delevering, and as a result, uh, that basically central banks will turn more more dovish, will put put sort of hiking, hiking on pause. You know, so we're starting from kind of very low position. We call it clean slate. You know, earnings did grow last year quite substantially, twenty. Plus percent, and we are down six percent. So some gap did open, right? Like you know, like so, so you know, even if we look at the small caps, you know, earnings grow thirty percent, you know, stocks were down twenty percent or so. Uh, so you have like fifty percent uh, 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 margin of error for this call. it slowdown. And yes, we do recognize slowdown. And actually, the, the one thing that I do a little bit worry is, is is Europe. It seems to be slowing up actually more than perhaps we were expecting. You know, for China, we do think that there is a round of stimulus coming in that into that economy, and and at some point it will start showing up on a positive side. And then again, we are taking a bit of a leap of faith that U.S. is not going to go to recession. We do have a slowdown, but we don't go from three and a half to negative. You know, we 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 slow somewhere in the low twos, but which can still actually grow your earnings. You know, we are adding job, uh, and 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 so 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 hence, I the answer to your question is there's this buffer, right, where where earnings went and when the stock went. You know, so so we think there's some room for you know now price target. You know, I, I was never a huge fan of price target. I tend to think statistically, just so saying there's a probability we go there and probability we go there, and I still. Do have at the back of my mind some probability that we don't go much lower, you know? But what is that probability in the back of your mind? You know, so, so like you know the recession kind of probability, you know, different models, you know. So our we have in-house model that shows about 35 uh, percent. Uh, you know, there's an economic-based model, there's a market-based model. Fed model shows 25. You know, the you know, so so it's 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 kind of I would say my my feeling we call it 25 percent. What are you expecting 25%.
5: for earnings growth in uh, this year?
6: So so we we clearly do want to see a little bit of how the earnings season pans out, but we think mid to high single digits you know like for for this
5: year and then some multiple expansion as well
6: um, well, at least we, we we think some stabilization of multiple or not further contraction, you know, maybe a bit of depends a bit of an effect and also on the path of economy.
1: The volatility yeah. that we saw in the last quarter <laughs> of the year, will we see that again this year or is that a thing of the past? You
6: know, so, 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 so um, we will see more frequently these type of episodes, you know, and, and I, I have been writing about that for the last five years, you know, so kind of 2015 and and February to last year and then October and December, you know, like so. So I think these type of uh, liquidity seizures, we'll see them, um, and, and but they typically happen from the higher point of leverage, you know, like, so you relever fairly quickly, liquidity kind of shoots up, you know, so everybody feels good, and then you immediately get slammed, liquidity disappears, systematic sellers come out and sell, option hedging programs sell, so so you have these kind of little tail events, you know, like, so So, I think we will see them, but I just, I, we just saw three or four, like, October, December, you know, like, so I think we could be in for, like, a little bit of a relevering, a reloading phase, you know, like, so that's why I think basically... Positioning is, is, is something that I think can drive market higher, despite the, the consensus, which is very bad. We're, is we're running
1: out true. of time, Marco, but I mean, in the, in the era of, of machine trading, mm-hmm. I don't want to blame the machines. This is not, this, yeah. I'm not trying to mm-hmm. fault anybody or anything for volatility, but in this day and age where you can get in and out of positions much faster than mm-hmm. in the past, these bouts of volatilities, uh, volatility may not be surprising. And In fact, them occurring more frequently seems like that would have to be the norm at this point. You go through cycles much faster,
6: right? You you do. You know, we used to have kind of one every two, three years. Now we have two or three every year. You know, like, so unfortunately that might be a norm given the sort of structure of liquidity, you know, electronic liquidity that can quickly, you know, pull uh, liquidity back or or provide liquidity. And some of these, you know, programmatic flows, it could be option hedging programs, it could be quants, it could be, uh, you know, insurance industry, but a lot of things do go on autopilot.
1: Marco, thank you. Always good to see you. Thank Thank you, you. Marco Kalanovic. Well, mean? to
2: get to three thousand, and Marco does a great job, and he doesn't like price targets, yeah. so I'm going to give him that. But you, know, you got, if you if you give S and P earnings about one hundred sixty dollars, which by the way I think is probably high this year, given what we're seeing, <clears throat> that's a nineteen multiple to get to three thousand. I don't know how you get to a nineteen forward multiple in the environment that we find ourselves in. So, look, can we get to three thousand? When you're betting against this market, you tend to be wrong. But I just I have a hard time mathematically
5: getting there. So we've got a year-end target of twenty-eight fifty. And we get to that by looking at 2020 earnings being right around 180 bucks, and the multiple expanding a little bit out to about 15.8. So we're a little, little shy of the, uh, the 3,000 mark.
0: So you know what I, well, I'm left off with? You have Europe, you have Japan, and you have t- China teetering on what could be a recession. You have Powell, even if he stops, takes the Powell pause. QT, still running off. So you have a tightening cycle. Global slowdown, recessions rampant all around, the, all around the world, lower markets.
1: Coming up, CSX down after hours, but the transports are on track for their best January in six years. One top technician says they've run too far too fast. He'll explain, plus it's ramping up to be a huge year for IPOs, but it's just a waiting game as a government shutdown continues. Um, early investor Rick Heitzman tells us what it could mean for the tech unicorns, and later one company just spent $22 billion to take on Square, but can it compete with the payment giant? We've got all the details. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more fast right after this.
7: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of CSX moving lower after hours. The railroad company reporting better than expected quarterly earnings and revenue and authorizing a $5 billion share buyback. And with the help of a few strong airlines reports, the Dow Transports rallying 5% this month, tracking for its best January in six years. With stocks like United, Avis, FedEx, hauling higher. So transports keep on trucking, although CSX is a little bit of a wrinkle, given us move in the after-hours session.
3: huge you, wrinkle. I mean, listen, yeah. to talk about the transports, it's a pretty kind of wide swath. If you think about it, we got bad news out of uh, the cruise lines, out of some of the airlines initially, obviously FedEx uh, in late December. And when you think about CSX, this is a better read on what's moving around our country, how the U.S. economy is doing. I don't think that the guidance that they gave was pretty, like, disappointing. It, there's no Although there's some that
0: say that railroads aren't indicative of the economy anymore, but I think it is, to your point, a better gauge on what we think the economy is supposed to do. And if these guys are really ripping higher, then that's a great sign for the economy.
5: So we downgraded railroads on October 30th. This is a very capital-intensive industry. And what we see them doing is they are reducing capex and they're taking on a lot of debt to buy back shares, which is exactly what CSX is doing. Um, And what that does is it just puts him in a tough spot in the event that the economy does take a downturn. Mm -hmm.
1: What's a better read of the economy, in your view? Uh, Mm -hmm. Trains or planes? Wow. Well, I that because I'll I'll play the game with you. UAL did well.
2: If our economy is 73% driven by the consumer, Mm -hmm. I think that's about right, then I would say planes is a better read-through for the economy. I think I'm sort of taking Steve's uh, point on this one. So I'd say planes. In terms of CSX, though, I mean, the stock's been in a pretty significant downtrend for the last nine months. The bounce you've seen is a bounce we've seen before at 15 times forward earnings. I don't think it's all that cheap. I think it rolls over here.
1: Our next guest says there is trouble brewing in the transports, but one name is still looking like a buy. J.C. O'Hara of MKM Partners is over at the Plasma to break it down. Hey, J.C. Hey, Melissa. How are you? Good. What are you looking at?
8: So transports, you know, what does that mean for the overall market? Now, you like to see transports move higher in a bull market. And you actually like to see the relative line of transports to the Dow Jones Industrial confirm that bullish price action. Unfortunately, we have not seen that. If you go back to the beginning of 2018 january we had the nice rally in the market however if you look at the relative line we actually made a lower high so that itself is a bearish divergence with price If we come back here to the august september highs what happened the relative line again failed to make a new high so consequently we rolled over now what was interesting in november we actually had a little counter trend move in the market we actually saw some signs of improvement with the relative line However, this January rally is showing zero signs of relative improvement. It actually looks like we're pretty darn close to making a 52-week relative low in the entire transport sector. So trust that is a giant concern. Now, if we look at the next chart, UPS, you know, this was one of those former bellwethers. You want to see UPS doing well. And you know what? Let's go back to January. We look at January, UPS was making a high on an absolute basis, and that uh, overall was positive. But if you look at the relative performance versus the S&P, failed to make a new high. So again, you didn't see that bullish confirmation. When the entire market rolled over and started picking up over the month, March, April, May, FedEx on an absolute basis started to try to participate, but on a relative basis, couldn't get out of the mud. We saw it roll over before the overall market, so that kind of gave you a gauge. When the market's down 20% from its size, We want to be looking at stocks that are rebounding the strongest off the lows. The average stock since the December 24th low is up nearly 13 percent. UPS up 8 percent. So, yes, absolute. It's doing okay, But that's 400, 500 basis points of underperformance. So UPS is another stock that we want to stay away from. And Melissa, to answer your question, what is better, rails or planes or trains or planes? I brought one bullish chart here, and that is of Spirit Airlines, I love this longer term base that it's tracing out here. We can make the case that this chart is showing you a double bottom here. Now, how many stocks actually gapped up 15% during that entire October through December decline? Well, this is one of them right here. Now, there's a little resistance here at 65. If we get above 65, I think this has another $10 upside. So like this chart, keep an eye on it. 65 is a key level.
1: JC, did you say the average stock is up 13 percent from the December lows?
8: From the December 24th lows, the average stock is up 13 percent. Yes.
1: That's amazing that the average stock has made that move. JC, thanks. JC O'Hara of MKM Partners. Um, Anybody like save?
2: Steve, that's a Steve Grosso name. Go to the Hulk <coughs> over there. I mean, that that the is Hulk. a name that outperforms. The Hulk. That,
1: oh, I that. thought you said the Hulk. No, the, well, what? that
0: too. <laughs> New to me. That is a name that outperforms. And it's kind of a sneaky airlines where the chart, everyone kind of forgets about this one. They trade the marquee players. This is one that's been flying under radar, has really not, no effect with the government shutdown for this one. People sort of uh, glide into this one. If you want profitability, where if you think the airline's gonna do well, this has a higher beta and you get a little more leverage with this one versus the other names.
5: Like any of the transport names? Uh, I'm terrified of the airlines in general. I mean, it's just a really tough business. Personally, getting on one or? (laughs) (laughs) No, actually owning them. So, um, tough business to be in. You know, fuel costs have come down. And you would think that profits could increase, but that's not the way it works. Instead, they have to immediately pass all those savings on to the customer because it's such a such a highly competitive business. So, no, not a big fan of the, uh, the transportation. I stocks. think the lack of balance in FedEx and UPS is really troubling. And I think that we we're talking yeah. about what
3: is the bank rally off of the December lows mean for the broader markets. And I think if you look at some of these names in the transports and you look at the inability for a FedEx and a UPS to rally, I think that... Weakness is more, much more significant than the bounce that we've seen in the banks. If you're trying to extrapolate things to the broader market,
1: I still cannot wrap my head around the average stock moving 13 percent. You, were, from the you, December you, you asked that
2: twice. You, you well, were because average, it's, it's, it's not. I still can't believe You said. Know. Yeah. Thank you. Okay.
0: Uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't that tell you something?
1: But doesn't that tell you something that it was just moved, so overdone? Right.
2: People were
0: so shocked with it that there's indiscriminate buying of all sectors, all space, all all names.
2: Yeah. Well, to dance point, Federal Express, for example, bottomed at 150. It's 171 now, which is, percentage-wise, a decent bounce. But FedEx topped out at 275 beginning of last year. This will be the fourth time you've had a huge move to the downside. Bounce, not a new high. Downside, bounce, not a new high. So the trend is clearly still lower. You have to wonder when FedEx starts to roll over again.
1: All right. For more on the transports, head on over to tradingnation.cnbc.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast.
0: I imagined that there was such a thing as a unicorn.
9: Well, Michael, there might just be. We'll tell you which of the big IPOs this year are ready to take flight. Plus, the payment stocks are heating up, and there's one player in the space that just made a $20 billion bet. It's going to come out on top. We will
4: explain. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. a leading global asset manager.
1: At Capel University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at
10: capella.edu.
1: We have some very sad news to share with you tonight. John Bogle, the founder of Vanguard, has passed away at the age of 89. He was a frequent guest on CNBC. Tyler Matheson has a look back at Bogle's incredible career that helped shape the investment industry.
11: Indexing always works best. Up, down, or sideways.
9: In 1975, Jack Bogle started the Vanguard Group. And with it, a new way of investing. Jack uh, was uh, the creator, effectively, of of the index funds. Index funds, mutual funds whose portfolios match a market barometer, like the S&P 500, are commonplace today. But they were unheard of in the 1970s, much less the early 1950s, when Bogle wrote his senior thesis about the concept at Princeton.
11: I said mutual funds should be operated in the most honest, efficient, and uh, economical way possible. Uh, I had a, a sentence in my thesis that said mutual funds can make no claim to superiority over the market averages.
9: Bogle's thesis research laid the groundwork for what would become one of the most powerful investing movements of the late 20th century. He concluded that Active trading mutual fund managers failed as a group to outperform the relevant indexes, especially when you subtract fees and expenses.
11: Anybody can do it for a year, and a few can do it for five years, and a few can do it for 10 years. But over an investment lifetime, there's about a 3% chance that a money manager can beat the market.
9: After Princeton, Bogle went to work for Wellington Management for over two decades, eventually becoming CEO. CEO. He was later terminated for what he called an unwise merger. So he started over, putting the indexing concepts from his thesis into practice at Vanguard. Investors suddenly found the playing field more level. So to a certain extent, in fact, to a great extent, I would say, he democratized investing for individuals, which was a huge contribution in the mutual fund space. That initial fund, called the first Index Investment Trust and later renamed the Vanguard 500 Index, tracked the S&P 500. Skeptics ridiculed it as Bogle's folly. But by 1990, index investing had taken root. The reason? Bogle turned out to be right. In the 15 years ending in January 2017, nine out of 10 actively managed large-cap mutual funds underperformed Vanguard's 500 index. Today, Vanguard has more than $5 trillion under management.
12: Jack Bogle is pretty much like a T-Rex in terms of what Vanguard is versus, you know a little tiny lizard over here. You don't see too many folks anywhere in the world that manage that much money.
9: After retiring from Vanguard in 1999, Bogle started a research center on the Vanguard campus. There, he continued advocating for indexing and buy-and-hold long-term investing. He
11: called trading stocks
9: a loser's game.
11: It comes right out of Shakespeare. These moves in the market are like a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury. Signifying nothing. I think it's speculators speculating on what other speculators are speculating on.
9: (laughs) And speaking of speculation, few would have bet on Vanguard back in 1975. Even fewer still would have thought Bogle would still be jousting with critics deep into the second decade of the 21st century. He had his first heart attack at age 31. Doctors said he wouldn't make it to 40, much less live to 89. He had five more heart attacks before undergoing a heart transplant at the age of
11: 65. I may be. I don't want to get carried away here. The luckiest guy in the world.
1: Jack Bogle dead at the age of 89. Let's bring in Bob Pisani from the New York Stock Exchange. And really, Jack Bogle made it possible for Americans across the country to participate in the financial markets. He did,
12: and he had a huge impact on investing and on me personally, Melissa. I remember in 1993, after three years at CNBC, uh, I was astonished at how few active managers were able to outperform their bogey. And one of Bogle's central insights is... In fact, very few do. And why not just go along with big parts of the market? He was one of the first people to create an S&P 500 fund that essentially mimicked the S&P 500. And you could buy into it, into his fund. I remember in 1993, after looking at the underperformance of all these fund managers, finally kind of coming over to Bogle's attitude about the whole thing. Of course, it wasn't just... Uh, that you could get into them uh, and buy into the S&P 500. It was cheaper. Remember, you were paying 2%, 2 2.5% per year for active management at the time. Most of them were not outperforming. Suddenly, you could buy in for a fraction of that into the S&P 500. It was a simple insight, yet really revolutionary.
1: And think about how we've built from that concept of the index fund correct bob i mean right now we have an industry filled with etfs which not would not have been made possible without the thinking that you could actually create a fund that is simply an index of the s p 500
12: and the, the great irony here about ETFs is Jack Bogle was not always a big fan of ETFs. Uh, this is ETFs independent of, of uh, mutual funds. He felt on the, in the earlier days that ETFs would encourage too much active trading because you could trade them intraday, unlike a mutual fund. And he really resisted this for a while, the concept. Fortunately, Vanguard, which had since moved on, he wasn't running Vanguard at the time, went very big into ETFs. It turned out to be a fantastic move. Uh, Vanguard itself quickly surpassed uh, Fidelity, its big rival, because Fidelity was slower getting into the ETF business. And as a result of Vanguard's decision to sort of go against Jack's wishes, Vanguard is now a giant. It's number two in the ETF business. Uh, after BlackRock. So uh, the the company itself has made some amazing moves uh, even after uh, Jack Bogle uh, left managing the day-to-day affairs.
1: And even after Jack left uh, Vanguard on a day-to-day basis, Bob, what was so amazing about him is that he would always come on to CNBC and he would basically be the face, the champion of the individual investor, really advocating that people should be involved in this market, be buy-and-hold investors, and he wouldn't be shy about giving his opinions on that.
12: Yeah, he, he he was somewhat astonished by, uh, I remember having a conversation with him one day about our fixation on, for example, what the sectors were doing on a day-to-day basis. He kind of thought a lot of this was noise because he was such a long-term investor. And when I said, you know, Jack, there are people who want to try to play the markets uh, on a shorter-term basis. We don't always want to hold for 25 years. Some people want to move. He said, I understand that, Bob. But you know, you know, Bob, how difficult and impossible, he used to say, it is to actually time market activities. He felt a lot of this attempts just weren't going to be successful for most people. And stay long, have a plan, and don't deviate from the plan was his primary message to all of us.
1: Yes. Uh, Bob, thank you. Thank you for sharing your okay. remembrances of Jack Bogle, uh, Vanguard founder, dead at the age of 89. And of course, he's had profound impacts on all of us, either individually or just on our industry, as we were talking about with Bob.
0: I I think what really hits home is is when Jack talks about the individual hedge fund manager or fund manager who can't beat the market consistently. And when you look at it to a a, a grassroots event, we have four traders on the desk tonight. Sometimes we're going to be wrong. Sometimes we're going to be right. And that's why you have to get this difference of opinion. But one person to beat the market it's impossible to do it with any longevity. That's why you have to be in the indexes. Okay.
1: Again, Vanguard founder Jack Bogle dead at the age of 89. Welcome back to Fast Money, a $22 billion deal taking aim at some of the biggest payment players like PayPal and Square. For more on what this uh, could mean for the space, Deidre Bosa is live in San Francisco with more. Deidre.
10: Melissa, one analyst I talked to called the deal a super defensive move in response to the success of Square. Viserys sells services and systems to banks and financial institutions. First Data operates more in the physical payment space, point-of-sale devices and products. So the idea is that together they'll be able to serve both merchants and card-issuing interests. But, guys, the Squares and PayPals of the world are already doing both and they're adding on more and more financial services. They process payments, have debit cards, their own successful peer-to-peer payments apps, and they lend to small businesses. Square Capital is moving into consumer lending and the company has twice applied for a banking license. They've essentially become a one-stop shop that are encroaching on traditional banking territory, a threat that Fiserv CEO acknowledged this morning in a call to analysts.
11: A lot of banks, uh, especially uh, in the community spaces, are worried about companies like Square. And what do you do where Square has a, growing, a rapidly growing point-of-sale lending business, and that's going to take money out of, the, uh, out of the revenue line of the banks?
10: Well, Fiserv and First Data say that they'll be investing half a billion dollars over the next five years on new tech in areas like merchant solutions and digital services. They also say they want to better leverage First Data's Clover point of sale system for small businesses. In other words, they want to catch up to what Square has already been building. Now, Yabuki also called Clover a great opportunity for community banks to fight back. Melissa. All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa in San Francisco. Uh, what's interesting is that Square apparently
1: recently has been targeting mid-sized businesses, which is really Clover and Clover goes sweet spot. So the bulk of their volume growth so, recently has been in this mid-sized category why are you looking at so, me like because the banks like, So because, what?
3: Because, no no it's, <laughs> it's actually a really important point the banks were so focused they, they weren't focused on square because Fo- square was really focused on small businesses right mm-hmm. so now that they're moving upstream they've had this relative bit of success they're on everybody's radar and i suspect square is not going to be an independent company for too much longer
1: oh so they're going to be bought you think yeah. just because this is happening yeah. uh, clover and clover go the suite of services p- p- point of sale services deeper pockets, right? I mean, presumably, Fiserv, FDC. Well, I mean, I look um, at
2: Fiserv, for example. And, you know, on valuation, you say it's still an expensive stock. The stock has been deteriorating now for the last few months. I mean, they report earnings, I think, in about two or three weeks. I would stay away from this. In terms of Square, you wonder. I mean, I'll say this. I don't know if it makes any sense, and Dan will laugh at me. But I've thought this for a while. And I mean, it seems logical. Like, Apple and Square together Apple, makes Google. perfect sense to me.
0: Uh, Apple, Google. Sir, services business. This is where this is. I, I've been long this name on and off. I'm uh, consistently long from $12, right? So when I bought it, I didn't buy it for a payments processor. I bought it for a services company. That was what was really attractive because you get a services company, you could slap any multiple you want to put on it. You get payment processes. You are limited to what you're going to have the stock trade at. But I do believe it's a takeout. It's getting crushed on that value versus growth
5: into year-end. Are you long? I'm still long. Okay, Mark? So in this space, I actually like Visa. I'd rather own own the credit card processor. Uh, Visa is really kind of an all-weather stock. I mean, it's got good global diversification and it's got a strong debit card presence. Uh, so if you look back to the last recession, credit was down double digits. Debit was actually positive. So I think uh, Visa would be a good play at this stage of the, the cycle.
1: All right, coming up, a number of huge tech IPOs waiting in the wings for the government shutdown could be throwing a wrench in the plans of what Wall Street was expecting to be a major year for public debuts. We'll explain. Stay tuned. Welcome back to FAST. There is a robust IPO pipeline for 2019. 160 companies have filed to go public with the SEC, including big names like Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, Palantir, WeWork, and Pinterest. Uber alone may have a valuation of $72 billion, and Pinterest is interviewing bankers in preparation for an IPO, according to Recode. But... The government shutdown could be throwing a wrench in the plans. Rick Heitzman is the founder of First Mark Capital. He's an early investor in both Airbnb and Pinterest. Rick, it's always good to see you. Good to see you again. Um, so SEC only has essential employees. They're not dealing with IPOs. What's, what's happening at this point?
13: at this point nothing that's the scary part that nothing is happening but you know you'd think that we're two weeks into the year it's not even martin luther king day yet and you know the the tweets are going that there's you know there might not be any public financings in 2019. It's, it's way premature. Mm-hmm. So you think about all the things that have to happen. The uh, SEC still has 28 days to reply to a filing. Assuming that the that the SEC reopens, government shutdown reopens, it won't even impact the IPO windows by a quarter.
1: So this is not something that that's really a concern of yours whatsoever yeah. when it comes to your portfolio companies. At what so. point does it become a concern? Is it a month into the shutdown? Is it two months?
13: I think that you're going to see just an accordion back based on how long the shutdown is. If it's a month back, it'll be a little bit less than a month. The issue is, I think it's going to be an issue for all IPOs this year, I think the mega deals, the ones you talked about, the Ubers, the Lyfts, the Palantirs are going to get done regardless of market conditions and regardless of what happens in the government. Because they're big known companies that people want to buy, people might need to buy if they think they're the future of transportation. If you're the next tier of companies or two tier companies down, you're not an everyday Name, you won't be able to get mind share if there's a backup of IPOs. Then, therefore, you might have to push it out to create your own window in a crowded market.
5: Are
1: are there any companies like that in your portfolio? We are trying to work through a, a plan B, so to speak, for 2019.
13: Not yet. I think that we you know, we set it up that. We're we're going to be able to finance these companies almost regardless of economic condition. You know, the fear of uh, the fear of a potential recession has people thinking about establishing a fortress balance sheet. A lot of companies established what they call a fortress balance sheet in 2018, where they can control their own destiny aside from financing risk. And therefore, people aren't worried about anything like this for the next couple of weeks.
3: So, Rick, that's a really good point. I mean, think about the tens of billions of dollars that's been raised in equity and in debt um, for some of these mega names, Airbnb, Uber, that sort of thing. Does it give you guys like this runway to actually delay them if, if you wanted to, if the conditions weren't correct because of volatility? Let's say let's say the SEC gets back
11: in order.
13: I, I think that most people have already taken that delay. They've already said, I'm going to do my mega uh, public, uh, private financing round. I'll take care of early liquidity. I'll take care of providing plan B, plan C. I think now a lot of these companies are saying it's it's time to kind of play in the big leagues. We'll, we'll, uh, and we'll wait for the SEC to reopen, which should be shortly.
1: Okay. Rick, great to see you. Thank you Always so much. Thing. Rick Heitzman of First Market Capital. Uh, In case you're just tuning in earlier, uh, we reported the news that Jack Bogle, the founder of Vanguard, the creator of the index fund, has passed away at the age of 89. Just a couple months ago, I had the opportunity to speak to Jack Bogle. Take a listen. Do you think that the market structure as it is right now could contribute to this sort of liquidity crunch the next time we have a volatility spike?
11: Well, to be honest... There are areas of the exchange traded fund market in particular that could be very much subject to the same kind of pressures, liquidity pressures that you're talking about. When you get into the main part of the, of the um, index fund market, the S&P 500, the total U.S. stock market, it's not really conceivable because they are the market. And if there's a panic there, there will be a panic everywhere by definition.
1: Always a straight sp- speaking guy, that Jack Bogle. Let's bring in Becky Quick, who just spoke to Warren Buffett about Jack moments ago. Becky.
14: Hi, Melissa. Uh, you know Warren Buffett really admired Jack Bogle, and uh, when he heard the news about Jack Bogle's passing, he had a lot to say about it. Um, he, he's known Jack for many years. He said that Jack Bogle has done more for America's investors as a whole than any individual that he's known. Uh, Buffett said that Bogle not only saved investors a lot in the fees that he made them uh, more long-term oriented instead. Instead, he also said he thinks that if you would find the turnover numbers in the S and P 500 index funds versus the Versus the ETF are very different, and he thinks that uh, Bogle really did a lot to reset the investors' minds, and and just pointed out again that he brought down fees dramatically for those who followed his words. Uh, he, he he made a couple of uh, comments about Jack. He said that a lot of Wall Street is really devoted to charging a lot for nothing, but Bogle charged nothing to accomplish a huge amount. He said that Bogle covered in a 30-year period a lot of people and converted a lot of people in a 30-year period to the right religion of investing, and he said it's a good religion. It really pays off. Uh, But again, he said that there's no one he can think of in the world of investing who has done more for America's investors than Jack Bogle, and that's because of the fees that he brought down. He pointed out that if if you're looking at... index funds out there maybe it's about 3 trillion dollars right now but he said even if you're talking about a trillion dollars um if you're talking about management fees of 1% over the course of a year that would cost investors about 10 billion dollars and Jack Bogle successfully brought that number down to just about zero um, so just Really pointing out all the good that Jack Bogle did for uh, mainstream investors,
1: yeah, he really brought investing uh, to the American public at large, Becky and, and you and I know very well that people who watch our programming all day long, they may be invested in individual stocks, but for the most part, most people who are watching are invested in mutual funds or ETFs, and all of that would not be possible without uh, jack bogle and and what he wrote about in his Princeton thesis, which is just amazing to think that so long ago. As a college student, he thought of the idea of the index fund.
14: That's right. Really converted things and and, and managed to convert a huge portion of America over the course of probably just three decades or
1: All right, Becky, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Our own Becky Quick, who spoke to Warren Buffett moments ago. I just want to read an excerpt from the statement uh, that was released by Vanguard. This is from the Vanguard CEO, Tim Buckley. Jack Bogle made an impact on not only the entire investment industry, but more importantly, on the lives of countless individuals saving for their futures or their children's futures. He was a tremendously intelligent, driven, and talented visionary whose ideas completely changed the way we invest. We are honored to continue his legacy of giving every investor a fair shake. And that's really what it has been about. I mean, for so long, Wall Street has been maligned as being an insider's club. And all of a sudden, with the index fund, that club opened up to a whole audience of investors who never had the opportunity, really, to invest in the stock market before.
2: Think about the words of Warren Buffett, who's done more for the American investor than anybody he can think of. I mean, that's, that's pretty high praise coming from somebody who could probably claim that title himself. So it's pretty incredible. And to your point, he leveled the playing field for all of the citizens of this country. It's a pretty remarkable
7: life.
1: Yeah. OK, well, we'll have more on Jack throughout the hour here as we uh, close up. But uh, again, Jack Bogle, the founder of the Vanguard Group, dead at 89. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at shares of Netflix, up 50% since those December lows as it gears up for earnings after the bell tomorrow. Dan Nathan, what is the options market expecting? So
3: an 8.5% move in either direction, Mel. That's rich to its 7.5% move over the last four quarters. Interestingly enough, that implied move has come down with the stock's huge rip this week. The stock's up 32% on the year. It's up 53% from its Christmas massacre lows here. Obviously, sentiment's running really, really hot into that print last night, especially with that subscriber um, price increase the other day, you know, if you watch OA last Friday, I was fading it 15, 20 bucks lower. I'm still fading it here.
1: All right. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern Time. Next up, final trades. Time for the final trade. Steve Grasso. GE up
0: 18 percent year date. Sneaky. It's going to continue to perform in a sneaky fashion. GE. Mark
5: Tepper. Long term, I love Netflix, but as a trade, I'm selling it ahead of earnings. I'm concerned about subscriber growth. Dan. Uh, yeah,
3: so XLF, it overshot to the downside last month. It's overshot to the upside now. I'm a seller here. Gee. Can't wait for 08 tomorrow. Oh, I mean, really? that's a huge That's OA. on Fridays,
2: though, guy. Tell it's not Thursday?
3: No.
1: It's our anniversary, by the way. No, What? That's a tease. That's a tease. On Friday? Yes. 10 year anniversary? Yes. Can I come to the show just sure. like. Sure. you're say here. here open invitation. American
2: Barrack, I think, gold sneaky as well, ABX. <laughs> All right.
1: That does it for us. Thanks for watching. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now.